0: The theme, what child is this? The, the um, topics each week that we're tackling this morning is the need for the Savior, for a Savior, and uh, the Scripture this morning. So I love, you know, I'm often the one assigning the text. Well, I've been assigned this text from these two brothers, and I'm excited about that because I get to preach Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. And you can be turning there. And as you do, Just some introductory remarks. You heard last week that Advent, from Christian as he was preaching, Advent is a season of anticipation. And that kind of describes all of life, doesn't it? Life is anticipation. To follow up on Christian's um, introduction last week, it's why the World Cup is the World Cup. Because it's four years of anticipation. Now, if you're uh, an athlete at all and you know anything about sports, you know that we got eliminated yesterday from the World Cup. The U.S. did. And uh, so I texted. Uh, Bobby and Christian were watching the game together, I think. Um, And I texted them and just said, well, that was fun. We'll do it again in four years. (laughs) And this is like four years of waiting. And anticipating and it ends in a game uh, just so quick and that describes all of life all of life is anticipation I remember anticipating getting my first car I remember anticipating uh, my driver's license I remember anticipating being in high school summer break I remember anticipating not just summer break the weekend right you're just anticipating the weekend come on weekend I remember anticipating graduation and finally being done and then going to college and starting all over again. All the anticipations, right? You're anticipating the weekend. You're anticipating summer break. You're anticipating graduation again. And finally, you graduate and you get into a career and you anticipate, you know, everything's going to be great in the career. You get, a, you get this great job and then you find out mm, maybe not so great, right? <laughs> I remember being in college, and I was dating a girl named Kim Smith. I remember anticipating, right? I want to be married. I was saving up money for the ring, right? Anticipating, anticipating, anticipating. We got married. Three, Three years later, we began to anticipate children. Pregnancy itself is all about anticipation. It's nine months of anticipation. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Our culture thrives on this anticipation. We anticipate then, you know, the baby finally comes along. We anticipate first words. We anticipate first steps. We anticipate, please sit down. <laughs> right? Please please be quiet. <laughs> it kind of changes as years go on. Um, and before you blink, they're anticipating. They're anticipating driving. They're anticipating... Uh, the weekend, <laughs> the summer break, they're anticipating graduations, they're anticipating marriages, they're anticipating children, and just never ends. That's life, anticipation. And as I said, culture thrives on that anticipation. That's how cars are sold. That's how Disney is so magical. What? What are they magical? They're magical about creating an anticipation. That's what Disney does. Never have you seen in a brochure of or on a website of Disney a long line in front of Dumbo, right? I think it's the comedian Brian Regan. I think he's the one that says, I waited in line for an hour and a half for the Dumbo ride. And I finally got to the front of the line. And what they do is they hold up a mirror and say, look, Dumbo. (laughs) They don't show you July summers in Florida hour and a half long line for a 30 second ride that's not that's not that's, that's not the anticipation they're trying to create they show you tinkerbell in the right corner of the brochure just spreading this magical cheer and so some think when we come to this season this advent season even culture says let's anticipate let's anticipate christmas and we do that if we're not careful with secular eyes and ears. Meaning, we start to anticipate, and this kids start to count down and anticipate Christmas morning. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, you know, be a Scrooge, don't count down. Uh, Christian's announcement was not saying, so uh, we're not going to do presents, and we're not going to have a tree, and we're not going to have lights, and we're going to, you know, that, no, we, we, we want to come together on Christmas morning. We want to worship together and celebrate. And, and, and we want, you should all want, let's, let's have a glorious time as families, right? But we want to do that through the grid of our eyes on Christ, not our eyes on what this culture prizes and treasures. And so culture tries to create this anticipation in this season as well. And so moms begin to anticipate a public's commercial dinner right like nobody does a commercial better this time of year than Publix right where shopping is actually a pleasure (laughs) who knew shopping could be a pleasure I might disagree but anyways we get the point right You, you you moms are looking for that Publix family get together and everything nothing is burnt in the oven Everything is cooked just right, and there's no drama in the family. Everybody's happy to be there. This is a perfect Publix meal. And as you dads have dug out the Christmas decorations probably already, you plugged in the light bulbs, and every one of them lit up first time. First time they all lit up, and we all got his and her Lexuses this year. Isn't that exciting? With a red bow on top. We both got them. And commercialism loves to advent. It loves to create this insatiable hunger for Christmas, a holiday, one day of the year that will make all the things that are wrong in this world right. Commercialism says, you like Jesus in a manger? We're happy to sell you that. You want to do Hanukkah? We're happy to sell you that. If any of that offends you, well then season greetings to you as well. So put up the tree, buy some fun gifts, let there be lights and overeating and Christmas joy and anticipate, oh, what joy. But have you noticed that in every anticipation is an equal or even greater letdown? Great anticipation becomes great expectation which becomes great disappointment. The college degree doesn't always translate into a career. The marriage and parenting becomes intensely difficult at times. The new career job that seems so perfect isn't. And the two-year-old just puked in the backseat of the new Lexus. (laughs) And toys break and gifts are returned and the family goes home, sometimes more fractured than when they arrived. And the secular thrill of hope of Christmas comes crashing down because cars and Disney and presents were never created to fill the large God hole of our hearts. They're just a momentary distraction for a season of time. Distract you from the realities that exist around us. We live in a broken world, a fallen world. I didn't just describe the Christmas season. I just described all of life. Life anticipation never ends and neither do the disappointments save one. And that's why we're here at Trinity this morning. Why we're taking multiple weeks to Advent. We're anticipating. This is why we all need to slow down and be re- reminded of our need for a Savior. Let's Advent together. Let's, let's verb Advent Verb, let's actively consider, anticipate a better savior than what our world offers. A a better advent, a better, glorious, incomparable anticipation. We're going to do that by looking at Galatians 4. And if you would, please stand with me. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writing to the Galatians, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary things, principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, actually read it with me. Is it on the screen? Let's read it together. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Praise Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for some time together this morning to preach Your Word. Open our hearts right now, we pray. Help us to Advent, even as as I preach. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We begin point number one, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. Uh, Paul to the Galatians, it's verse verse number one. He he begins right off, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. What what does he mean? What has he been saying? We don't want to just... Drop out of the clouds into chapter four, verse one, and read something like that and not go backwards and go, well, what does he mean when he says that? So briefly, let's go backwards. Chapter three, big picture. Chapter three was about the people of God being heirs. Heirs related through Abraham, okay? Chapter four runs this parallel line, if you will, with chapter three. It's also about the people of God being heirs, related through Christ. All right, so chapter three and chapter four shows the believer in Christ that we are sons of Abraham and thus sons of God. And all this is centered around Paul calling on the Galatians to grow, to grow up, if you will, to mature in Christ. He's calling them to maturity. He's calling us to maturity. You see, some of the Galatians are chasing after false teachers And the false teachers are pulling them away from the true gospel. From the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation through faith, by grace, in Christ alone. So Paul says to them earlier in the letter, who has bewitched you? Who are these false teachers that have pulled you away from the true gospel? Maturity, growth is found in the truth That you are no longer children. You you are no longer a slave. It's it's not who you are. Who, Who are you, Paul is saying. He's saying you're a son. You're a daughter. You're an heir. And I believe he's saying live in the good of that. Now the childhood that Paul is addressing in Galatians is this idea that one could be saved through obedience to the law. He lets us know that he's, he's not saying that the law is worthless. But what he is saying is that trying to gain your salvation through law obedience, through law perfection, through fulfilling the law, well, that's childish. They knew the gospel and they're being swayed away from that true gospel you're you're acting like children you're you're actually acting like the slave who's placing themselves back you've got Jesus Christ but let's place ourselves back under and let's trust in our obedience to the law to then save us Paul's saying no you're you're acting like a child you're living like a slave and so he's wanting us to see the foolishness of this now the law is good and we'll read that later he's not saying the law is bad the law is good. The law is very good. The law is so good in that it points us to Jesus. It, the law helps us to realize I can't do it. I can't get it done. I didn't uh, plan on sharing this. So sorry, uh, where's my son Tanner? Uh, I'm going to share his second. When you were younger, <laughs> I should have talked to you about this. Um, but when he was younger, we were having a discipline moment. And uh, we were in the bathroom (laughs) having a discipline moment. And uh, at one point, he just, through tears, just said, I can't do it. And my response was, you're right. That's the gospel. You can't do it, and neither can dad. And that's why we need Jesus, and that's why Jesus came. Praise be to God. You're starting to see it as a child. You can't do it. Look to Jesus. The law is good in that it points us to the truth. You can't do it. You need a better Savior than trusting in yourself. The law is good, but it's a horrible Savior. So he takes us from, this is what I mean, from chapter 3 to number 2. This is who you were. Again, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So, so, so he's, he's, he's talking to them. He's talking to us, believers in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, you own everything. Now, he's not talking materially. It's not as if, you know, th- th- these guys are materially wealthy. Paul is saying to the believer, you've got it all. Everything you need for your salvation is yours. In Christ Jesus, it belongs to you. You're the owner of all of that. Salvation is, is, is right there at your disposal, but you're being childish. You're being infantile in this state. And you're no better off, he's saying, than a slave, chained as a slave. Paul is saying, You own it all, but you're acting like a child under a guardian. The guardian is the law. And you're awaiting the date, right? The, the date, it says that the, the Father appoints for you to no longer be under that law. It's not in, entirely different than our day-to-day, right? Like you're, you're, you're 14, you're waiting for the day to be 15. You're waiting for the day to be 16, right? When the law, that fullness of time, that moment of time, you now can get your license and you can be entrusted Lord, help us with, with a driver's license, right? Paul's saying you wait the day, date for the father appoints. So we're, children are waiting for that date where the father says, okay, now's the time. Back to verse one and two. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date, that's the law, until the date set by his father, so Paul is saying that in Christ we are to be mature. We are to be an heir. It is who we are, and yet this heir is under the authority of a guardian, under the uh, the supervision, if you will, in a childlike state, waiting for the father's time. All right, let's read it again. Verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father in the same way. We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, it's who you were, not who you are in Christ Jesus, who you were in before knowing Christ Jesus, you, you were a child, you were enslaved, you, you, you were obligated to do the best you can, fulfill the law for your salvation. But when you come to Christ, so point one, this is what I mean. Point two, this is who you were. Point three, this is what happened. Verse four, but, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's intentional, what he's saying. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it was appropriate when that was read earlier during O O Night Divine, you applauded. Not because the music was great. Not because the reading was so great. Because the truth of those words jumped off that screen and into your heart. And your heart was saying, yes, that's it. That's what he's done for me. And he says, but when the fullness of time had come, that is a pregnant phrase, if there ever is one. Advent is this season of celebration where we're joyfully celebrating what we once were, then in the fullness of time came and God sent forth. A great teacher? No. Well, yes. But more than that. A great prophet? Yeah, the the prophet of all prophets, but more than that. An amazing king? Yeah, the king of all kings, but. More than that, a priest of all priests, but a Savior. He sent forth himself. He sent forth not just another man into this world. God himself took on human flesh. Advent is an appeal to slow down, to measure our time, to make it count, to consider as culture just ramps itself up in this frenzy of activity. We are called to a measured slowing down and consideration of Christ in the fullness of time. Advent is to take a focused gaze at the glory of that little phrase. Because the birth of Christ. Because the manger speaks to us. It speaks. What does it say? Now's the time. The fullness of time. It's here. That's what it says. The appointed time of the Father. It's right now. Because the entire Old Testament. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned. And we've recounted it many times, so I'll just refer to it Genesis 3:15 when God speaks the gospel for the first time. From that moment, which is only a couple pages in, the rest of the Old Testament is adventing. We're waiting. We're waiting, says the Old Testament. 3:15 says something's going to happen. We're waiting. Every prophet is telling us there's one who's going to come and we're waiting, says the Old Testament. And every king, as we've been recounting as we're walking through 1 and 2 Samuel, finally we get to David and he's a man after God's own heart and we think we finally got a king. Nope, nope, that one too will fail. And so the Old Testament groans. It's waiting. And every priest and every sacrifice, the priest Bring another lamb because the nation has sinned again and I'm a sinner and so we need to sacrifice again and every lamb cries out, if you will, waiting in the fullness of time. God sent his son. Every Old Testament scripture points the Old Testament is adventing. Waiting, waiting, waiting. That's why the hymn writer got it right that we sang earlier. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world. Long lay. We got an entire Old Testament of long laying the world in sin, in air, pining. Till the fullness of time, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The right response, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Those are lyrics. God had been preparing the way for Christ to come well before an angel shows up and begins to announce that he's coming. Now in the fullness of time, God had been ruling over human history. He has been shaping nations and rulers and kings and they're all in their right position at this time not randomly but god placed and the roman empire is dominating and ruling the day and under that empire the jews and christians many would suffer under its domination and reign and that's the environment in which was to be now's the time fullness of time right now appointed by the father all of human history has been building up to this one moment, pregnantly waiting, the fullness of time. It almost sounds like a nice fable, doesn't it? It, it sounds like we're almost, it, it can almost sound like, wow, a literary phrase you're reading to the children and in the fullness of time. Oh, no, this is, this is the sovereign God ruling over rulers. The sovereign God Ruling over nations. This is the king of the world ushering in his kingdom. This is the almighty God ruling over time itself. All the years, all the Old Testament prophets and priests and kings. And now we come to this letter and he's telling us. And God said, now is the time. I will send my son. When, cries the Old Testament, when will he come? Now's the time. Habakkuk 2.3 says it like this. For still the vision awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It se- if it seems slow, wait for it. <laughs> it will surely come. It will not delay. Malachi 3. It's the end of the Testament says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then what? 400 years of silence. Waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting so long people have forgotten the prophets. And then we come to Matthew and Luke. And we have an angel who's showing up. And the angel is announcing the birth of Christ. A thrill of hope. (laughs) God was declaring, now's the time. Paul is saying to the Galatians that this fullness of time is the time when the people of God were to own it. Own, Own what is yours. Own your inheritance in Christ Jesus. Own what he has given you. What is this thing that we are to own? What is our inheritance? It's that Jesus Christ accomplished perfectly in his life, death, and resurrection all that you need for your salvation. For those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, Paul's saying, own that. That's what faith is. It's owning what is yours in Christ Jesus. It is, it is, it, what's our inheritance? It's, it's his perfect life. the great trade on the cross he took our sins upon himself he gave us his righteousness Paul is saying own that that's yours it belongs to you stop being childish it's like you're being a slave it's like you're running back to the law throwing yourself underneath that guardian and the fullness of time it's already come Galatians Trinity it's already come Christ has already come so own this righteousness that belongs to you in Christ Jesus Paul is saying to them and us, grow up, be mature, be who you are. Your hope is not in your ability to keep the law. The thrill of hope is that Christ came in the fullness of time to accomplish what you and I could never accomplish. Advent then looks to his perfect righteousness, his perfect goodness. So he says to them and us, grow in your faith in Christ. And I would add, do that this Christmas season as you advent for all of us because we're all always trying to sh- smuggle our character into the gospel. I gotta add something to what Christ's completed work has already done. You are justified in Christ Jesus. God the Father does not look to you based on your ability to keep the law, but He looks to you based on your faith in Christ Jesus, who kept the law for you, who died in your place and paid the price for you, because you and I, were lawbreakers. So claim your inheritance, Paul says. Own it. It's yours. He paid for it. And if I could say he paid for it not with this stunning, glorious manger scene. As glorious as that is. He paid for it with a bloody cross. So you are no longer a child with a guardian. You are in Christ Jesus. And maybe that's why Mark opens his gospel with these words. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, right? It's another way to say, now's the time. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's why Matthew's gospel begins with this super long genealogy. If you're reading through and you get to Matthew and Maybe you just decided, let me just skip over this. I would encourage you, read it and do so with Advent. It's it's meant to Advent for us. It's meant to tell us we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting 14 generations here. 14 generations, 17 verses, a good chunk in the page, right? It's just one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, to say what? We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. And then now's the time thrill of hope god's people throughout the old testament have been unfaithful all the way genesis to malachi we could just put a banner over the people of god and the banner reads unfaithful disobedience wandering failure exile unfaithful and christ came to that in the fullness of time. To all who would believe in Jesus. God, friends, is faithful. He's the covenant keeping God. And so at the appointed time, Jesus came. Do you remember we've been walking through the covenants? Remember the covenant of Abraham? Remember the covenant of Noah? And the covenant of David? Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 7. God is promising David what? His his offspring, would, his kingdom would be forever. And we asked that question when we were preaching through it. How could that be? How can he say that? How's David going to make that happen? Well, David's not going to make that happen. <laughs> it's beyond David to make that happen. So chapter 3 of Galatians says this. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith, turn the page, right? And, and, and Paul's saying, now's that time. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son. Matthew 2, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus, from the line of Abraham, from the line of David, the Son of God, the eternal King, will come and establish His rule and reign forever. Advent with me. In the fullness of time, God ordained that God would do what man cannot do, what man is unable to do, A child will be born to a virgin. Let's read verse 4 again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Man can't do that angel says, well, it will be because of the Holy Spirit and in the fullness of time at that very moment in the town called Bethlehem. All the Old Testament, all the weight of the Old Testament shouts, now's that time. What happened? Well, in the fullness of time had come, three things happened. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Number two, to redeem those under the law. Number three, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So point one, this is what I mean. Point two, this is what you are. Excuse me, this is who you were. (laughs) Three, this is what happened. Four, this is who happened. Who happened? (laughs) I believe it deserves its own separate point. A few moments, let's advent. Who happened? Who happened? God sent forth His Son. We're not talking, as I already said, that That God sent forth a great teacher. He's not simply a miracle maker. He's not just some healing guy that we should all go chasing after. He's not just some religious leader. God sent His Son. That's who happened. The Son of God has come. Born of a woman. Under the law. Why Why does Paul say that? Why does that even matter? Well, because Christ placed himself under the law so that he might live out the law perfectly on our behalf because that's what's needed, he says, to redeem. That's what's needed for redemption. He will pay the redemption price. This is the word redemption and the word slave here. They they, they fit in the context and in the culture. You could redeem a slave. A wealthy person could purchase a slave and buy their freedom. I buy you. You're free. Christ paid the price for our sins. What we owe, what what we deserve is death due to our sin before a holy God. Christ came in the fullness of time born of a woman under the law that He might redeem us from the law. His perfect Law-abiding is what takes us from slaves to sons. And Paul is showing us that we are now free from the law's consequences. In that Christ has paid the consequence for our law-breaking. And it's in that place that we've been given full sonship status, which means you are an heir. An heir of Christ. Lord, help. No longer infants. No longer enslaved to the law. No longer under that guardian. Because in the fullness of time, the Father spoke. He said, now's that time. And that means the time is not the time of childhood, law, guardianship. It is the time of adoption. It's the time to be who you are. So he's saying to them and us, grow up put your full weight of faith in Christ Jesus because you have full rights as heirs. It's stunning. The Son of God who eternally was. This is not, okay, and now we have a manger and Christ is beginning. No, this is the Son of God who eternally was. That's enough. I don't even know what to say to that. This was Christ not beginning. This is Christ becoming. The son of God who always was was not created and yet he lowered himself and he became a child. For you and me, our our birth, it was our beginning. We didn't have a beginning before we began. Christ has a becoming because he always was. Hebrews 10 says he came into the world. John 3 says, the son of man descended from heaven. So before he became became to be born in a manger, what was he? Well, he was was Philippians 2. We read it earlier during the singing. he, He was in the form of God when he took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He condescended. This, the son of God, was God. And thus he was infinite in his power Perfect in his faithfulness. He was generous in his goodness. This is the son of God in flesh. Who was he? He was the sovereign one over all creation. He was all that you are right now thinking of who he is. And yet he's infinitely more than what you're thinking who he is. <laughs> you can't think enough. You, you, our brains are created and he's beyond your ability to think of who he was, is. He's the son of God. The eternal one sent. It tells us sent by the father. You and I as followers of Christ, we are called to live mission lives. We are, we are sent people. We are, we are called in some small way to reflect our savior. When we, we go, we're in some small way representing him who went. He was sent, he came. This is who this this is, the Son of God. John starts off his gospel not by telling us the birth narrative. His emphasis is going to be a little bit different. He wants us to know this is the Son of God that we're talking about. This is Jesus, the Maker, the Master, the Savior, the Living Word, the Great I Am. So we read it earlier. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The Son of God lived in Mary's womb for nine months. Think about that. He condescended to come to us. The Son of God condescended and took on the limits of a human flesh The Son of God lowered himself by becoming a baby. The Son of God traveled through the birth canal. The Son of God delivered in a manger. The Son of God who Revelation calls the Alpha and the Omega. The Son of God, he who created the universe. He is why Mary is. He created the tree that the manger was built out of. He created those wise men and those shepherds and those angels. The creator of the universe, the Son of God has come. The redeemer of our sins. The Son of God has come. So Paul to the Colossians tells us who this Son of God is. He says, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in all things hold together. In him all things hold together. This is who happened. We're not talking about celebrating a great man's birth. We're we're not talking about the likes of great reformers, perhaps like Calvin or Luther. We're not talking about a great preacher like a Spurgeon. We're not talking about a great military strategist like a Churchill. We're talking about the Son of God came down. The second person of the Trinity the creator of the universe the almighty holy infinite sovereign god came in human flesh as a baby we don't even have time to cover the phrase born of a woman it's glorious it's supernatural it's god exalting phrase born of a woman we maybe we'll look at that next year because we can take the entire morning to talk about born of a woman Number five, this is Advent. Galatians 4, verse 6 again. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God not only sent His Son, <clears throat> what we're being told here in verse six, he sent his spirit. He's ascending God. So Advent reminds us of who we once were under the law. We were children, we were slaves and who we now are. We are full heirs of Christ. And then it tells us, how did we get here? How did you get here? Why are you serving the Lord if in light of who you once were, in light of how, who you now are, how full inheritance, all that these verses are telling us, how did you get here? Well, it tells us how you got here because Christ came and he redeemed us. He purchased you through his blood, by his blood. I ask the worship team to come and join me. No wonder Mary sang. No wonder what we know as Mary's Magnificat. No wonder, it says Luke 1, and Mary said, think about all the waiting of the Old Testament. And now this has been announced to her. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit Rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name listen he who is mighty has done great things for you <laughs> for you for me if you are a follower of Jesus Christ he has done great things For us. And holy is his name. Mary cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord. Would you stand with me? Let's uh, join with the angels. Let's join with Mary's Magnificat and let our souls magnify our Lord this morning as well.